एपिसोड थर्टी सेवन रेक्टोवेजानल फिस्टूला रिस्क फैक्टर्स ऑफ रेक्टोवेजानल फिस्टूला और पेल्विक रेडिएशन ऑब्सटेटिक ट्रामा पेल्विक सर्जरीज कोलॉन कैंसर डायवर्टिकोलाइटिस क्रॉन्स डिसीज क्लिनिकल फीचर्स अनकंट्रोलेबल पैसेज ऑफ द गैस और फीसेस फ्राम दी वेजाना डायग्नोस्टिक स्टडीज वी कैन फर्स्ट डू दी फिजिकल एग्जामिनेशन देन वी कैन गो फॉर फिस्टूलोग्राफी देन एम आर आई एंड लास्ट ऑप्शन इज दी एंडोसोनोग्राफी ओके सो फर्स्ट वी हैव टू डू फिजिकल एग्जामिनेशन देन फिस्टोलोग्राफी एम आर आई देन एंडोसोनोग्राफी राइट सो दिस पेशेंट विद मैलाडोरस वेजानल डिस्चार्ज हैज टूल गैस पासिंग वेजाना and a posterior vaginal lesion most likely has a recto vaginal fistula and aberrant connections between the bowel and the vagina although recto vaginal fistula develops commonly associated with obstructive trauma or pelvic surgery patients without these risk factors should be uh, evaluated for any additional conditions such as uh, any gastrointestinal conditions okay so this patient's intermittent crampy abdominal pain and perianal sinuses in the setting of the recto vaginal fistula is likely due to underlying crohn's disease crohn's disease a transmural inflammation of the gi tra- gastrointestinal tract predisposes patients to bowel abscess and fissures and fistula formation although the rectal uh, the rectum is typically spared in the crohn's disease a non healing transmural ulcers uh, in the anal canal can progress to the rectovaginal fistula all right in addition to the standard crohn's disease management nttnf alpha inhibitors and glucocorticoid the patients with rectovaginal fistula may require surgical corrections let's talk about bartholin gland cyst and abscess so bartholin gland cyst and abscess are presents with the malodorous vaginal discharge however the patients typically have a posterior vulval mass located at 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock position in addition the bartholin gland cyst do not cause crampy abdominal pain or passage of the flatulence or stool through the vagina Hydrinitis superativa is a chronic occlusion or inflammation of hair follicles can cause a groin abscess and sinus tract formation associated with purulent drainage however it is not associated with abdominal pain malodorous vaginal discharge in addition it is typically multifocal and located in more than one intertrigenous area such as axilla inguinal regions or gluteal regions cervical cancers or a retained foreign body in the vagina can cause a malodorous vaginal discharge and abdominal pain However, the patients typically have visible findings such as the cervical lesions, foreign body, and on speculum examination, neither is associated with the passage of the flatulence through the vagina. Okay, now let's talk about the uh, next question, which we are going to discuss is absolute contraindications for hormonal contraceptive pills. So yeah, active uh, active breast cancers and is the absolute uh, risk factors like contraindications for. Uh, or hormone combine hormonal contraceptive pills and migraines with aura uncontrolled hypertension active hepatitis severe cirrhosis liver cancer age more than equal to 35 and cigarette smoking more than equal to 35 per days okay so that means if age is more than equal to 35 and he is uh, having uh, like smoking cigarette okay for more than 35 years then we can say that it's an absolute contraindication ischemic heart disease stroke if less than 3 weeks postpartum prolonged immobilizations thrombophilias and factor 5 laden mutation is there antiphospholipids involve venous thromboembolism then we don't have to give the oral combine oral contraceptive pills thrombolytic uh, events or we can say thromboembolic events occurs due to the combination of hypercoagulability endothelial injury and venous stasis known as borgia's triad with patients typically having more than one risk factors for their development women with pre existing risk factors for thromboembolisms are at increased risk for clot development during pregnancy 
and with exogenous estrogen exposures due to hypercoagulable properties okay antiphospholipid syndrome antiphospholipid syndrome is an autoimmune condition characterized by vascular thrombosis and pregnancy complications recurrent miscarriage and preeclampsia fetal growth restrictions and uh, antiphospholipid syndrome is an absolute contraindications to the combined uh, to combined estrogen and progesterone hormonal contraceptives due to the risk of arterial and venous thrombosis patients who desire the pregnancy prevention should be offered hormone free options the copper uh, intrauterine devices or permanent sterilization such as tubal ligations all right condom with the spermicides are safe and hormone free options but have low efficacy rate of all the contraceptive options the patient should be placed on most efficacious contraceptive as possible so we don't have to suggest them about this the dipomidroxyprogesterone acetate that is the dmpa is a systemic prostaglandin analog which is only prost uh, sorry i'm not talking about prostaglandin it's just progestin analog okay and progestin only contraceptive have less risk for thromboembolism compared to the combined hormonal con options but systemic forms are still not recommended in the higher risk patients so yeah we don't have to give them any hormonal contraceptive to these patients now let's talk about certainly ladic cell tumor pathogenesis sex cord stromal tumor increased testosterone clinical features are rapid onset virilizations voice deepening male pattern balding increased muscle mass clitoromegaly or oligomenorrhea unilateral solid adnexial mass management is with the help of surgery we do the tumor staging after surgery only okay so in sex cord ladic tumor testosterone increasing and uh, causing the features of virilization oligomenorrhea and unilateral solid mass okay so this patient with hyperandrogenism defined by either virilization that is enlarged clitoris rapid onset less than 1 year hyperandrogenism hirsutism nodulocystic acne is suggestive of androgen secreting tumors additional clinical features of androgen secreting tumors and resultant virilizations includes bitemporal male pattern balding voice deepening and increased muscle mass most androgen secreting tumors arise either from the ovaries or the adrenal glands which can be distinguished from one another by types of the androgen produced ovarian secreting andro ovarian androgen secreting tumors mainly produce testosterone which is more than 150 nanogram per deciliter whereas the adrenal tumors produces dihydroepiesterone sulfate that is dr's level that is more than 700 microgram per deciliter okay so this patient with elevated testosterone and normal dhgas indicates that ovary is the source of virilizations most likely certainly ladic cell tumor testosterone secreting sex cord stromal tumor that is ovarian tumor the best next step management uh, in the evaluation is the pelvic ultrasonography which may visualize a complex adrenal ma mass management includes surgical excisions of the tumor and cancer staging okay let's talk about the classic congenital adrenal hyperplasia due to 21 hydroxylase enzyme deficiency okay so if there is a 21 hydroxylase deficiency typically present during the infancy and there is salt water adrenal crisis girls have ambiguous genitalia non classic forms of the congenital adrenal hyperplasia present in young women with slowly progressive over years and hyperandrogenism state and abnormal uterine bleeding can be there true virilization is uncommon in case of a uh, uh, non classic uh, this congenital adrenal hyperplasia both the types of congenital adrenal hyperplasia causes elevation of the 17 hydroxyprogesterone rather than testosterone so if there was a increased level of 17 hydroxyprogesterone then we can think about congenital adrenal hyperplasia adrenocortical carcinomas can cause rapid onset virilizations and some constitutional symptoms such as weight loss however the patients with uh, androgen secreting tumors of adrenal origins 
have elevated DHEAS levels which are not seen in this patient. Aromatase deficiency causes maternal and fetal realizations during pregnancy due to the placental inability to convert DHEAS to estradiol. Therefore, individuals with uh, aromatase deficiency have elevated DHEAS levels in contrast with these patients. Polycystic ovarian syndrome is a common cause of hyperandrogenism, abnormal uterine bleeding and mildly elevated testosterone levels particularly in obese patients. However, the PCOS rarely results in markedly elevated testosterone levels that can cause virilizations, voice deepening and clitoromegaly. So in PCOS, we see that testosterone is elevated and there are few features, but uh, virilization features will not be there. Okay, so we can easily rule out that this is not a case of PCOD. Now let's talk about the next questions in which obesity is leading to an ovulation because whenever a obese patient is there, endosteadione is there, which convert which and the adipose tissue had aromatase which can convert endosteadione into estrogen. This estrogen excess can lead to decrease in the hypothalamus, GnRH production, and anti-repetitory FSH and LH production. Ultimately, this decrease uh, result in decrease in the estriol, estradiol. Trone is increased that is estrogen type 1 is increased but estradiol is reduced and which leads to anovulation and amenorrhea. So this patients with chronic more than equal to 6 months abnormal bleeding likely as secondary likely secondary to the excess adipose tissue associated with obesity. Excess adipose tissue affects the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis by two major mechanisms. Obesity causes increased insulin resistance and hyperglycemia which decreases the production of sex hormone binding globulin causing the elevated free androgens and endosteadione levels. The increased androgens are aromatized in the adipose tissue that is estrone, a type of the estrogen which leads to persistently elevated estrone level. In patients, the high estrone levels affect the GnRH pulse at the level of the hypothalamus resulting in high frequency short interval GnRH pulses. These pulses preferentially produces LH resulting in imbalance in LH and FSH release from the anterior pituitary. Although the overall change in concentration is minimal, the LH-FSH imbalance results in lack of the LH surge causing anovulations resulting in abnormal uterine bleeding. Treatment includes weight loss. First, we have to say uh, ask the patient to lose the weight and then combine, combine oral contraceptive pills which regulates the menstrual cycles and protect the endometrium. So, next, let's talk about endomyosis. So, in a patient with adenomyosis, typically have heavy menstrual bleeding. Okay, so they actually have heavy menstrual bleeding with dysmenorrhea, which is not seen in this patients. Next is the endometrial polyps. Endometrial polyps can occur in obese individuals, but patient because yeah obese individual because estrogen receptors on the endometrium responds to estrogen excess okay so since the endometrium there is estrogen excess so endometrium causes polyformations and the patients with endometrial polyp typically have bleeding irregularity monthly menstrual cycles and uh, also endometrial polyps do not cause amenorrhea making the diagnosis less likely patient with hypothyroidism can have abnormal uterine bleeding because of the increased release of the thyrotopin stimulating hormone from the hypothalamus which can increase the prolactin level the elevated prolactin level further inhibits the FSH and LH level so how the hypothyroidism causes anovulation if when there is excess hypothyroidism so TRH that is thyrotopin releasing hormone is increased okay which further increases the prolactin level because it has positive feed feedback for prolactin but this prolactin has negative feedback for FSH and LH so this it inhibits the FSH and LH level and ultimately leads to an ovulation okay primary ovarian insufficiency is a type of hypogonadotropic hypogonadism hypergonadotropic hypogonadism there will be increase in GnRH and all that thing but oh, estrogen hormone or oh, estrogen will be less 
uh, menopause in women of age less than 40 that uh, causes anovulations are subsequently abnormal uterine bleeding in contrast to these patients those with primary ovarian insufficiency have vasomotor symptoms such as hot flushes and elevated FSH levels so this is not a case of uh, menopause next is uterine leomyomas which are fibroids there is heavy regular bleeding okay and rather than the irregular menses or amenorrhea so yeah in uh, fibroids there is regular bleeding not irregular bleeding now let's talk about the uterine sarcoma so uterine sarcoma the risk factors are when there is pelvic radiations uterine sarcoma can occur with tamoxifen use or postmenopausal patient uterine sarcoma causes by three conditions pelvic radiation tamoxifen use and postmenopausal patient presentation includes abnormal postmenopausal bleeding and pelvic pain and pressure and uterine mass diagnosis is done with the help of ultrasonography additional imaging testing can be included and endometrial biopsy then we have to do endometrial biopsy and last option is the histopathology for the surgical specimen okay a surgical specimen treatment includes hysterectomy either we can remove the hysterect your uterus and then we can give them adjuvant chemotherapy plus radiation therapy okay so this patient with postmenopausal bleeding and pelvic pain most likely has uterine sarcoma okay a rare but aggressive malignancies uterine sarcoma typically presents as a uterine mass as in this patients and large irregular shaped uterus that causes bulk symptoms that is pelvic pressure constipation okay so if there is bulk syndrome like uh, pressure is there on somewhere like on the rectum then it's leading to constipation and pelvic pressure is there then we can see that okay uterine mass is there enlarged irregular shape uterus abnormal postmenopausal bleeding so yeah you can think about sarcoma uterine sarcoma is often indistinguishable from benign leomyomatoma that is uterine fibers however it should be suspected in postmenopausal women who has taken tamoxifen or have the other risk factors such as pelvic radiations tamoxifen is a selective estrogen receptor modulator that uh, act as an adjuvant for the breast cancers okay although the tamoxifen has antagonistic effect on the breast but it has estrogen agonistic effect on the uterus therefore it is increases the uterine sarco risk of the uterine sarcoma and endometrial hyperplasia and cancer okay for this reasons the fda has issued a black box warning for the patients and provided recognizes that uh, pro providers but uh, but providers but recognizes the benefit of the tamoxifen therapy typically overweights the risk for the most patients with the breast cancer so we can give them okay yeah next is adenomyosis so in that we see enlarged uterus but that is uh and there will be abnormal uterine bleeding that is heavy menstrual but the uterus will be enlarged uniformly okay however the patients will have symmetrically enlarged globular uterus not the irregular mass Choriocarcinoma, that is gestational trophoblastic uh, neoplasia, can present with enlarged uterus and abnormal uterine bleeding after pregnancy. Choriocarcinoma affects the women of childbearing age, making the diagnosis unlikely because this patient was postmenopausal. So, if you see abnormal uterine bleeding, enlarged uterus, then it can be because of choriocarcinoma if the women is of childbearing age. Metastatic cancers to ovaries can cause the pelvic mass and bulky symptoms. However, it typically associated with ascites that is fluid waves on palpations, which is not seen in its patients. In addition, the breast preferentially metastasized to the lung, liver, and bone, making the diagnosis less likely. Okay. Pelvic organ prolapse, complete procedentia, that is complete prolapse is there, like everything is prolapsed this anterior wall the posterior wall and also the upper portion okay cervix is also out of the vagina causes pel pre pelvic pressure constipation and postmenopausal bleeding due to exposed or eroded vaginal mucosa therefore it is typically presents with the vagina not the abdominal pain so yeah we see pain in the vagina 
and in addition the patient's uterus is well supported making this like diagnosis less likely next is botrytis sarcoma botrytis so which are these grape like mast and specifically seen in kids so yeah. a type of uh, embryonal rhabdomyosarcoma can presents with uh, genitourinary masses it and but is typically vaginal and exclusive diagnosis is seen in infants not in the postmenopausal patients so yeah now let's talk about the next questions which is what are the causes of abnormal uterine bleeding so or menstrual bleeding so abnormal menstrual bleeding can be either fibroid bleeding or because of adenomyosis or because of the endometrial cancers or hyperplasia so if the bleeding is because of fibroids then it will be a heavy menses there will be mass symptoms such as constipation urinary frequency pelvic pain and heaviness and enlarged uterus will be there if adenomyosis is the cause there will be dysmenorrhea pelvic pain heavy menses and bulky globular tender uterus will be there and if it is because of endometrial cancer or hyperplasia then we have a history of obesity nulliparity chronic and chronic and ovulation irregular menstrual postmenopausal bleeding non tender uterus so if uterus is tender globular bulky then it is adenomyosis if there are features of the uh, heavy pain uterus enlargement it can be fibroids but if it, there is another history of obesity nulliparity and chronic and ovulations or irregular menstrual cycles postmenopausal history or non tender uterus then it can be endometrial hyperplasia all right so the abnormal uterine bleeding is defined as the menstrual bleedings that is prolonged for more than 5 days and heavy that is requiring more than one pad every 2 hours okay so with irregular frequency so chronic abnormal uterine bleeding can can result in symptomatic iron deficiency anemia which in turns can present as syncope palpitations and tachycardia gradual depletions of the iron stores is uh, evidenced by the low hemoglobin level and decreased mean corpuscular volume now let's talk about uh, leoma myoma uteri or fibroids okay so it can be intramural submucosal or uh, in in yeah transmural okay so this patients those uh, the those that are submucosal and intramural are commonly cause of the heavy menstrual bleeding proliferation of the smooth muscle cells within the myometrium can cause the profuse menses as well as irregular uterine enlargement oral contraceptives can decreases bleeding durations and volume but may not uh, completely resolve symptoms patients still have symptoms such as anemia and may require transfusions and more invasive fibroid treatments such as myomectomy or uterine artery embolization and hysterectomy classical cyclic bleeding of uh, ectopic endometrial gland is a pathogenesis of endometriosis typically present with pelvic pain endometriosis can implant in the bladder or endometrioma that is chocolate cyst of the ovary or adhesions and uh, in the uterus or in the bowels or anywhere when there will be thickening of the ligament and all that thing we can see in pelvic endometriosis okay conditions typically present with pelvic pain not anemia heavy bleeding or irregular enlarged uterus okay now let's talk about adenomyosis is proliferation of endometrial gland inside the uterine myoma myometrium Cl clinical features includes bulky tender uterus that is uniformly enlarged endometrial hyperplasia with atypical is uh, with atypical is a part of the progressions to the endometrial carcinoma typically presentation typical presentation includes postmenopausal bleeding with the normal size uterus okay so if it was only high hyperplasia then we see normal size uterus okay hallmark of the von Weber-Barron disease is uh, impaired plated aggregations due to von Weber-Barron factor deficiency this coagulopathy can cause abnormal uterine bleeding and anemia without uterine enlargement next is human papillomavirus of uh, causing the cervical transformation 
and that is uh, on the transformation zone it can cause the cervical cancers although the focal cancerous changes are typically asymptomatic advanced cervical changes may present with postcoital spotting with normal size uterus not with irregular uterine enlargement okay now let's talk about hyperestrogenism so yeah whenever there is a prolactin so what happened basically is prolactin increases during the lactation so prolactin is since prolactin is increased it inhibits the gnrh inhibits this gnrh further decreases the fshlh release which decreases the estrogen from the ovary ultimately leading to anovulation amenorrhea and menopausal symptoms okay so the patients with pain dryness with postpartum intercourse are most likely due to hypoestrogenism secondary to the lactations okay so pain dryness uh, will be there uh, just after postpartum so it's because of hypoestrogen in breastfeeding in patients elevated prolactin level suppresses the gnrh release from the hypothalamus which can cause low fshlh level and estrogen levels low estrogen levels inhibits the ovulations lactational amenorrhea and may include menopause like vasomotor symptoms hot flashes night sweats vaginal atrophy and vulvovaginal atrophy can also be there atrophy of the vulvovaginal changes causing dyspnea due to decreased blood flow and collagen content which leads to epithelial thinning loss of the vaginal rugae and decreased vaginal lubrications leading to dryness treatment is supportive with non hormonal lubricants and moisturizers so we can use moisturizers or non lubricants in postmenopausal women we mainly prefer hormonal lubricants okay now refractory cases may require the vaginal estrogen symptoms typically resolves with cessation of the breastfeeding and normalize or uh, normalization of the estrogen levels so yeah whenever breastfeeding is ceased the estrogen level later on normalize and ultimately the symptoms resolves okay now the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are first line medication for postpartum depression due to their high efficacy and tolerability sexual side effects of these medications are common however low libido is more typically more typical than dyspnea so dyspnea is not a feature of uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors indeed yeah, libido is uh, low libido is the feature of that okay side effect now let's talk about the pudendal now pudendal now is vulnerable to compression stretching injury during the labor particularly during an operation of the vaginal delivery with an extensive third or fourth degree perineal laceration so whenever there is third or fourth degree perineal lacerations we have to give the patients the pudendal nerve block so that time the pudendal nerve injury can occur okay since the crowning is there and head is coming out that time yeah and the diagnosis is unlikely because this patient has normal perineal sensations and ring reflex indicating that intact pudendal nerve vaginismus is a genitopelvic pain and penetration disorders described by pain with both sexual and non-sexual vaginal penetrations that is tampon insertions or pelvic examinations likely due to in involuntary pelvic floor contractions since there is involuntary pelvic floor contractions so whenever anything is inserted into the vagina either it is sexual or non-sexual such as tampons or uh, pelvic examination then there is severe pain okay so this is called as penetration disorder known as vaginismus the patients had no pain with speculum examination making this diagnosis unlikely okay vestibular hypersensitivity that is uh, vulvodynia is uh, present per persistent localized vulvar pain with light touch that is pain to pain with q tip test with no detectable cause so whenever vulvar tenderness is there or vulvar vestibular hypersensitivity is there like we we are only touching with the q tip and 
then also the pain is there then uh, it is a vestibular hypersensitivity but in this patient no such finding was there therefore it's not the case of vestibular hypersensitivity now let's talk about the postmenopausal women with the endometrial cells on the pap smear testing the reporting of the endometrial cells on pap smear testing is age based okay so if the women of age less than 45 do not have endometrial cells reported on their pap smears test because this is common okay um, common benign findings particularly if pap smear testing is performed during first 10 days of menstrual cycles okay so yeah if age is less than 45 then she is undergoing menstruation so endometrial cells can come in the pap smear so we don't have to do we don't have to further evaluate okay but in contrast if women of age more than 45 do have endometrial cells on the pap smear because these findings are more concerning with an abnormality in this age group particularly postmenopausal women endometrial shedding may be due to endometrial hyperplasia or cancers regardless if the patient has no other symptoms such as postmenopausal or abnormal uterine bleeding the risk of the endometrial hyperplasia cancer is further increased if the patient has additional risk factors such as obesity chronic uh, and evolution therefore postmenopausal women with endometrial cell on pap smear require further evaluations with endometrial biopsy so the next test which should be done is endometrial biopsy after pap smear patients diagnosed with endometrial cancers typically undergo hysterectomy with bilateral salping ophorectomy for the treatment okay now let's talk about colposcopy and leap so in colposcopy there is a visualization with the help of light and speculum is inserted and we also insert the some acetoid uh, some acid solution in there so it leads to acetoid changes which is seen on abnormal colon, uh, cervix okay next is loop that is a uh, leap leap procedure where loop electro surgical excision procedure okay so in that we remove the area where we see that there is some cervical changes or something okay for biopsy basically evaluate cervical cancer in the patients with either abnormal cervical cytology that is cervical intraepithelial lesions or gross abnormality on the cervix that is tribal and fungating lesions so this patients with normal appearing cervix and no intraepithelial cells on pap smear we don't have to go for this the patients with no cervical intraepithelial lesions negative cervical cytology on the pap smear may resume a normal cervical screening schedule that is three to five years depending on the presence of hpv co-testing repeated cervical can cancer screening in one year is not indicated in this patients okay now let's talk about the when are we supposed to do this colposcopy all right so i already told you what is colposcopy a pap smear is a screening test examination for precancerous lesions in the uterine cervix high-grade squamous cell intraepithelial cells lesions that is hsiels on pap smear testings are concerning for underlying severe neoplasia that is cin2 or cin3 or invasive cervical cancers and all the patients require evaluation with immediate colposcopy repeated pap smear testing is not appropriate okay so if we see that there are few cancerous cells and there are high grade cancerous cells then we have to do immediate colposcopy colposcopy evaluates the cervix and vagina under magnifications after application of acetic acid to contrast and identify abnormal acetoid changes from the normal cells and uh, normal abnormal vessels a sign of a high grade lesions also become visible 
Cervical neoplasia typically occurs at the transformation zones, squamocolumnar junctions. If these areas are not visualized during the colposcopy, an inadequate colposcopy or endocervical curettage is performed to evaluate the endocervical canal. Then endocervical curettage is an invasive procedure and deferred during the pregnancy due to the risk of miscarriage and preterm delivery. So we don't do endocervical curettage. All right, we don't have to do that. Okay, and cervical biopsy is preferred in even in the pregnancy if the lesion is at high grade features okay abnormal vessels so even if the patient is pregnant pregnant then they have to go for cervical biopsy okay if we see some this acetovite changes on this yeah human papilloma virus code testing is used as a triage of atypical cells to determine uh, undetermined significance and low grade interepithelial uh, cells if there was low grade interepithelial cells or atypical squamous cells of undetermined significance then we have to do hpv testing also for further evaluation with the colposcopies indicated for high risk hpv patient okay now high risk hpv patients uh, with the uh, high high risk squamous cell lesions on the pap smear can be treated with an immediate loop that is electro uh, loop leap surgery that is the loop electrosurgical excision procedure rather than a colposcopy however pregnant patients first undergo the colposcopy and then cervical changes are excised only if the evidence of the invasive cervical cancer is found okay immediate surgical excision based on pap smear testing alone is contraindicated due to preterm delivery all right so basically what you have to remember whenever a patient is coming to you first you have to do the pap smear testing okay if in pap smear if you see that endometrial cells are there then you go for endometrial biopsy if there are no cervical changes or cervical cells okay abnormal cells but if you see that there are abnormal cervical cells only then you have to see whether these are high risk profile or low risk grade okay so if there are low grade risk or undetermined significance then we do the hpv testing okay but if they are high risk then if the patient is pregnant or not so if the patient is pregnant then we have to do first the colposcopy immediately later on we can go for leap if it is positive for invasive cervical cancers but if it is a non-pregnant case then we directly go for leap and remove the lesion all right trichloroacetic acid therapy can be used for the vulvar and vaginal warts condylum acuminata caused by low risk hpv 6 and 11 yeah now let's talk about the next questions which is the health syndrome so health syndrome hemolysis elevated liver enzyme low plated count is a life-threatening pregnancy complications that may be severe type of preeclampsia this patient with severe hypertension proteinuria are consistent with preeclampsia but laboratory findings are consistent with health syndrome Health syndrome is thought to be a result of abnormal placentation, triggering systemic inflammation and activation of coagulation and complement cascade. Circulating platelets are rapidly consumed. Microangiopathic hemolytic anemia is particularly det detrimental to the liver. The resulting hepatocellular necrosis and thrombosis in the portal vein systems causes elevation of the liver enzyme, liver swelling and distension of the hepatic Gleason capsule. Microangiopathic hemolytic anemia increases the bilirubin projections which leads to indirect hyperbilirubinemia and red cell fragments on the blood smear. So what is happening? Platelets are consumed and there are risk factors of microangiopathic hemolytic anemia which can involve the liver, blood vessels and leading to hepatic necrosis. Therefore, elevated liver enzymes, liver swell, swell up and uh, 
hepatic gleason's capsules is also distended and we see that microangiopathic hemolytic anemia is there so bilirubin is there also increase in direct one red cells fragments on the peripheral blood smears can be seen so this basically this is a case of health syndrome acute fatty liver of pregnancy can cause acute hepatitis failure acute hepatic failure okay in the third trimester so if there was acute hepatic liver in pregnancy then you have to be careful because in third trimester acute hepatic failure can occur or in early postmortem period postpartum period also i'm really sorry i don't know what i'm speaking sometimes but i just slip of tongue okay most patients will have prolonged prothrombin time and partial prothrombin time thromboplastin time hypoplasemia and encephalopathy so in that case we see other four features also however hemolysis proteinuria thrombocytopenia more suggestive of health syndrome viral infection that is hepatitis can cause nausea abdominal pain fever malaise elevated liver functions as well as fever later which present and patients does not have these findings okay in this case so immune thrombocytopenic purpura is a characterized by autoimmune platelet destructions and patients may have patient may have uh ecchymosis or petechiae and mucosal bleeding but on but the peripheral smear may show decreased number of platelets that are variable size but not hemolysis okay now intrahepatic cholestasis of the pregnancy manifest as generalized pruritus hyperbilirubinemia transaminitis due to elevation of the serum bile acid concentration from the impaired bile acid flow it does not cause microangiopathic hemolytic anemia or thrombocytopenia preeclampsia is a risk factor for abruptio placenti which classically presents with vaginal bleeding acrocytic abdominal pain and uterine tenderness or rigidity the diagnosis is unlikely in this patients who has uh, laboratory findings in consistent with health syndrome focal pain in the upper abdomen yeah so this is it for this lecture thank you for listening